0: Love Talk, Radio. Love, Talk
1: Radio Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech and Language Pathologist
0: Hi Laura, this is Kate Hensler and I am a Developmental Interventionist with the First Steps Program in Louisville, Kentucky How are you tonight?
1: I'm good. Can you hear my computer problems in the background? It keeps saying, vlog, talk, radio.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the music's still going, too, lightly. I, I know. Guess.
1: And and I'm going to have a feedback and hear us talk, and that might freak me out. Okay, Johnny got it fixed.
0: <laughs> that was close. <laughs> I hate when I can hear myself talking, even on a cell phone. You know, it's like, no, 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 I was like, I'll call you back.
1: I know. I can't do it either. It drives me crazy. Mm. Well, did I ask you how you are already, or no?
0: you did, but it was one second before the show, so we didn't get to say, "I'm doing great. How are you doing tonight?" <laughs> I'm almost rested from my
1: a uh, month of travel, yeah, yeah, Memphis well, was got... so much fun on Thursday. We had such a great time and a great turnout, and you remember that my uh one of my instructors and then two other faculty members and 10 grad students from Mississippi University for Women were there and that's where I got my undergraduate degree and so it was so much fun to um see Mrs. Lynn Hansen after 20 plus years it's probably closer to 24 25 years now uh and then um uh, just to talk with her and talk with young grad students who still are learning but don't quite know what
0: they're doing
1: yet. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been there, though.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then lots of other um, clinicians were there, too. And I got great questions there, but not necessarily during the uh, conference. They would all, I guess they're so Mississippi, western Tennessee nice that they don't want to ever interrupt, and so they would ask me in between um, the breaks and things, but lots of really good questions. And if we have time today after if we finish early with these emails, which never happens.
0: Johnny's yeah. <laughs> laughing in the
1: background. We might talk about some of those, or that might be the topic for next week's show because there were some interesting takes on things that we've talked about before but might not have talked about it in detail. So I thought those might be some good show topics for the future. Okay.
0: Sounds good.
1: Yeah, one other announcement. Let's see. This next week, I'm still continuing my theme for travel for the month of July. <laughs> and oh. I'm scouting out some locations for um, conferences this fall. So I'm so excited about that. And we're definitely looking at West Virginia, which I've been talking about for a long time. But we're also really wanting to go to Texas. And so if there are any speech pathologists in the early intervention program or who see young children in Texas, and, in Dallas, Fort Worth, or Houston, please email me because I would love to pick your brain. And I don't have any contacts there. I dug back through my email and tried to find someone who specifically said that they practice in that area, but I couldn't find any. So if anyone would like to help a girl out, just email me at Laura and teach me to talk so I can ask you some questions about Texas' system and just other general kinds of questions. I usually always have a contact or a way to find information and I'm having a harder time with that with that huge state. But I'm very excited yeah, about that. I hope would be that works fun, out.
0: Though. That would that would be good if you could figure that one out.
1: I know. So we're I'm hoping someone will hear this and the right person is put in my path, which usually happens. Um and so I hope that someone will Email me about that. The other thing I wanted to announce is yesterday I posted, or maybe it was Friday, on uh, TeachMetotalk.com's Facebook page a really interesting article that was written about a piece of research that just came out in the Journal of Pediatrics. And it's on, um, you can look at that specifically again on teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page, and it was about the birth complications, which ones are associated, and which, uh, just based on retrospective studies, would maybe, when, if, when those birth complications are combined with genetic vulnerabilities, is how they worded that, a child might be more likely to be diagnosed with autism. And so I thought that was a really interesting um, piece of research to review, and then there's a link, and then there's another link that takes you to the full article or another more academic summary about the article. But I like the initial link that's there, and I think it would be great for parents and certainly for therapists to take a look at. And I'm going to start asking more of those questions about birth complications um, than I normally do. I thought it was, and again, just for my own personal little research uh, with new clients that I think are likely to get that diagnosis down the road, so I thought it was a pretty interesting read. So everybody check that out.
0: I haven't really heard that angle on the whole autism thing. I'll have to read it. I haven't looked at it well, before. and it
1: also had some things that they ruled out as potential factors, and one of those was uh, birth, past, 40 weeks, and I had read that a lot. Don't you remember reading that before, that
0: uh, labor that went
1: post-term?
0: That one? No, I can't I honestly say I, I have heard of that one.
1: Well, do you know why I think I know that? That is because uh, my first son is was two weeks late, and he certainly, um, I've just always wondered about that. You know, he's not on the spectrum he's not been officially diagnosed anyway but he certainly has some sensory quirks you know and all i've given his history before about his learning issues with his reading uh, difficulty so that might have made me remember that particular tidbit hmm, yeah. um, just reading it in the past yeah Sorry. so i thought that was interesting but you'll have to check that out that's a cool read i meant to send you that link but since you're not acting like i did i don't guess i did that
0: if you did, I didn't see it. And that's possible, but I didn't see it. I'll check it out on Facebook, though. Okay. The one I've heard about, but I didn't um, haven't researched this either, really, is they're making an association between, I think it's moms who were on antidepressants and yeah. autism. Have you heard that one?
1: I have heard that one. And the reason that I think that that's so, <laughs> hit so close to home is because my husband's mother, probably took those during her pregnancy with him. She's no longer alive, and I can't ask her that. But she, you know, has a history with that and certainly struggled with that, uh, with depression her entire adult life. And I've looked at what those kinds of drugs can potentially cause. One of those is heart problems. And Johnny was the, one of the youngest children to ever have open-heart surgery in Memphis back in 1969. Oh, and, you're and kidding. I, had I
0: never knew that. No.
1: I, really? No, I
0: never knew he had that. Uh-uh.
1: That's an interesting story. I'll have to tell you more about that later.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> but I remember reading that that's also linked to more, children may be more likely to um, be autistic with moms that did that. And certainly, my Mister Social, uh, never met a stranger. Husband
0: would be about the on the opposite end of that. Yeah. So. <laughs> Different spectrum, yes. I don't think <laughs> yeah. he'd qualify by anybody's standards. <laughs> Yeah, but
1: it's uh, I, I do remember reading that one as well. But they rolled out some other things, too. And so it's interesting to see what they rolled in, what they rolled out. And, again, these are all retrospective things from looking at children's histories and what parents reported and didn't report. So it's it was interesting to me, as I'm sure it will be anyone with a child that they're concerned about, that they think, ah, oh, is that the link? Is that is that what happened? And they are really careful in there, too, to say usually the child also had to have some kind of genetic predisposition, meaning that there were other people that had been diagnosed with autism in their families or some other um, neurological or maybe even a later academic uh, diagnosis that the child got that would make them assign family history as one of the the factors included with that. So I thought that was interesting as well. So but the takeaway information was for pediatricians that when a child has experienced multiple and they called it suboptimal birth conditions, that the pediatrician do really judicious monitoring during that child's first, second, third year so that any time the child started to lag with milestones meeting those developmental uh, benchmarks that we use to go ahead and start early intervention. And so I mm-hmm. thought that was a great way to tie it into functional information. You know, this isn't just cool research that we talk about for the heck of it. You know, what's the way that we can apply it and make children's lives better? And so I liked that that was the recommendation. Anytime that a child had those kinds of uh, complications present, that it would be um, and just a real, of uh, listen up, heads up for the pediatrician so that they did lots of uh, really continuous developmental monitor- monitoring. And I think that's mm-hmm. good information for pediatricians to think about and note and really pay attention to when they're um, even in that as early as that first year, mm-hmm. You know, even that six-month checkup, nine-month checkup, those really early, early ones so that we can get started with kids. Quickly, because the the usually the earlier they're in, or in early intervention, the better the outcome would be versus if they had no intervention at all. So that's the takeaway information. I thought that was great. Okay, yeah. tonight we have two emails from both from speech pathologists, and I love to get emails from other people who do the same job that we do and work with babies and toddlers with communication. Delays and disorders in, um, I think both of these women work in their state programs, but I'm just going to start with the first one, and I'm not going to read her name. Um, anyway, let's get going. She says, I attended okay. your taking theory to the floor course in January, and I learned so much. It's helped me tremendously to become a better therapist, so thank you for that. I was wondering if I could get some professional advice. She says, I have a little boy on my caseload was 23 months old and not talking. He just points and grunts. I've been working. We've seen a child or two like that, huh, Kate?
0: <laughs> yes, I believe I have him on my caseload <laughs> right
1: now. Yep. I've been working with him since January. So it's July now, so she's been seeing him for, what, seven months. She says, and I cannot get the words to come, exclamation point. She says, mm-hmm. I followed your strategies. He is a social child, and he has a great understanding of language. And I'm so excited that she put that in there because – Anytime we talk about this on the show, or anytime she came to the conference, and the whole conference is looking at the hierarchy that we use with treating children. And so I love that she came away with that information and telling me right away he's social and he understands language because those are two things that I really just go out of my way, <laughs> to yeah. almost beat people over the head with that. The kids can't talk until they want to interact with people and until their comprehension is moving along so that words start to mean things. So she's ruled those out as factors for why he's talking like and she goes on to say he picked up on some signs very quickly and uses them consistently. She says she's been working on imitation, and he is using some, some play words and sounds. And by, she didn't say what, but I would, say, I would think that she means exclamatory words like uh-oh, maybe animal sounds, car sounds, other little play words like wee and whoops and all that. She didn't tell us exactly what he's using, but she said some, so to me that would mean more than a couple, so that's moving along. She said, "I feel like he knows what to say," and again, she's getting that from verbal routines. I mean, I feel like she went through the conference manual and said, <laughs> "I've done all this stuff." Right? Uh, she said, "Yeah." She said, "I feel uh, I feel like he knows what to say," meaning that she's done a good job of establishing some verbal routines, and I'm modeling a set of words repeatedly during play so she's gotten really purposeful about what she's expecting him to imitate and she's looking at herself in this process and making sure that she's not modeling too many words, that they're realistic, that it's hopefully pretty simple. And here's where she starts to say that he has more trouble. She said, I also try withholding for what he wants. And now he just tries to walk away to find something new, even though I know he wants what I have. For about a month now, he cries as soon as I walk into the door. Ugh, dagger in the heart. That would just kill me. She says, he cries when I try to cue him and teach him, which he used to not do. In the back of my mind, I'm wondering if he has apraxia. Ding, ding, ding. I think she has a winner. What about you?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think she can quit wondering on that.
1: Yeah, and she said, even though we haven't seen this kid, just based on what she said and our experience, she said, so I've taken that approach by cueing him for sounds and words, like put your lips together to say more. This is how I've been able to get him to say a few more words, like more, ball, and pop. However, he is not saying more any longer. During the six-month review... Mom expressed that she thought he would be saying more words by now, but she doesn't seem concerned saying he'll just talk when he's ready. And then she goes on to say, I feel frustrated internally during therapy sessions as I whip out all my tricks, and the little boy obviously associates me with something negative, which kills me. She says, I know you're busy, but if you have any professional advice, I'll gladly take it. Thank you so much for your time. So I love that she feels that angst that we all feel when we think, Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? He is miserable. And I love that she's saying and to herself, Boy, I need somebody to help me with this because what I've tried so far is not really working. Um, so we are going to talk about things that we would do. First of all, let me commend her we're really taking a look at this little boy from the foundation up and, again, by looking at his social skills and making sure that receptively he's moving along and she's doing great. She also introduced some signs, which is our go-to original strategy for most children if they're ready to work on expressive language because signs, I think, reduce the frustration and not only the kid but the parent pretty easily, if you can get that going. And she said that he is a good signer Um, And she didn't say how many signs he uses. So if she had called in, that certainly would be a question that I would ask her. Because if she just says he's using like five or ten, you know, what you and I would say about that. Right. Yeah, that's not setting the world on fire. Get dizzy. I wonder
0: if he uh, uses them spontaneously also. I'm guessing he does, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, so that's certainly something that she should do is increase Keep increasing his repertoire of signs, and sometimes, really, I'll have kids that know thirty, forty, sometimes even more signs than that before they're really ready to talk. And so that is not unheard of. And I think a lot of therapists, just based on our personal experiences and certainly the emails that we get and the call, calls that we get, might stop at ten or fifteen signs and think that's plenty. Has that been your experience with other other therapists too, Kate?
0: It does seem like it is. They think, um, you know, that's enough, we've done that, and they kind of stall out. And, I mean, not for every child would the be my goal to right. get that many signs, but for a child who's bright and does well with them, why not?
1: Yeah, me too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going for it on that. And, it, and certainly right. he is, I mean, there's some other things that we're going to tell her what to do, but that would be one of the things that I would start with next week is looking at what signs he has if all of them are not pretty spontaneous meaning that he initiates those in therapy without seeing a visual model I love it when I can just cue a sign and the child does it just from the the verbal model alone you know just from hearing me say the sign and they do it my favorite though is when they initiate it when I pull out the toy or they know something's in my bag and they start to sign it on their own with nothing, no kind of cue from me at all. They didn't hear the word. They just saw it or sought it and started to sign. And that's when we really count the sign as spontaneous. So I would certainly look at the signs he's using and, and in what context he uses those and then talk to mom about that. You know, how many of these signs is he carrying over into daily routines? Is this just a therapy trick or is he using those all week long? And it sounds like he probably is. I mean, we don't know that... how many signs he has, but that's certainly a place that I would start. And if he is using all of those spontaneously, then I would teach him some more. And if that means that I would have to learn some more, well, then so be it. I would look at what um, toys I have available and what his interests are, what kinds of things he seems to really like, and I would use that as a way to expand what new signs we were going to do. If he has close to 50 signs, then I would start to even do some 2 sign phrases and bump him up a little more so that she's continuously having him make progress in the way that is easy for him because I think success begets success in other areas. And if you can get him really on board and feeling proud of his little accomplishments, and you can even see that even in a two-year-old. Don't you see that all the time, Kate? They're They're so excited that they've done it.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I yeah. try and see it in every kid because I think they, you know, that's a huge motivating factor even for a ch- child who's two. So I hope yeah. that I set the stage for every child to feel great about how they did, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And it doesn't sound like he's feeling too great about anything. And so no. it's because he's crying so much of the time when she's there. He's crying when he sees her. He's crying when she's cueing him. So I would totally go in a direction where he can feel really, really proud of himself and successful and like he's doing it because on some level he is self monitoring. He is, he knows I can't do this, and I think that's probably why he's crying. You know, what you're asking me to do is too hard. This is frustrating. I'm mad that you keep having me do something that I'm obviously not truly ready to do, or else he would have already done it. So I would encourage her to look at her sign vocabulary and do that. Secondly, I think that she probably, in her, um, her own um, timetable. She's thinking, gosh, since January I should be getting more words by now. We've got to speed this up and even though mom has said he'll talk when he's ready, she still also added but I thought he would be doing better than this by now. So I know she has to feel internal pressure and so well, and she do we
0: I mean we all yeah. have been there and it's not yeah. fun for any of us. It's really you know, especially normally it's the ones who say it are the ones you're already thinking it, which it sounds like right. she is. You know, we all have these mm-hmm. kids now and again. And, yeah. I mean, I've had kids where the whole way there I'm praying, please let them have a good day. Please yeah. let this go well. <laughs> you know, if, if I can get through this one comfortably, it'll be an easy week. So, I right. mean, you know, yes. we've Everybody's all been in Yeah, Mm -hmm. but you
1: have to really, when you are feeling that way, you cannot let a child feel that much pressure. And it's particularly important for children with motor planning issues or apraxia like she talked about because that just darn well guarantees that he won't be able to say what she's trying to get him to say. I mean, it is just... It's just opposite of what you want to do. And again, it is hard. And goodness knows, I have been in those sessions where I think, Laura, <laughs> you have done this to yourself. Yeah. You are putting this little boy under too much pressure, and no wonder he's not responding because it's he's not ready yet. So what I would do if I were her is really, really, really think about all the things that he has absolutely loved or things that he is most likely to love based on how well she knows him now and do that and play those games and play those routines with absolutely no pressure to verbally perform for at least a couple of weeks so that she can get him back happy and get him back, again, as she said, not associating her with a negative experience. And, again, I have been there with kids, and it is it is like trying to get the genie back in the bottle sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's why now I just do everything I can to even avoid going that direction with the kid in the first place. If I feel like it's sort of starting to be negative, boy, if I was fun before, I am ten times more fun than I was Uh, just immediately leading up to that I mean I really ratcheted up a notch and do everything I can to make it so much fun and no pressure whatsoever verbally now you still may be withholding things for signs or really getting him to do things but he is just in too negative a place to make any real progress right now I think just based on that was that your take on on this too when you read it Kate
0: absolutely I think um, with all the best of intentions she kind of just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, he doesn't sound like a kid I would withhold um, anything for, anything ver- for <laughs> yeah. a verbal response. I mean, it doesn't, Me you know, what did she say? He has more, he has please, he has, and more is gone now.
1: Yeah, she said he has ball and pop, but ball she's only pop, been able right. to get him to say a few of those words, and it sounds like that those haven't even been consistent, that those have just been sporadic. So he does not own those words. And one of the cardinal rules for withholding is you only withhold for words that you absolutely, positively know they can say. And according to the information that she's provided, that would be exactly zero. Yes. (laughs) This little boy.
0: (laughs) Well, and for, you know, for praxic kids, I think it's always a little dangerous to say, I mean, okay, at a certain point, once they've really made some progress, yes, they may own some words. But in the beginning, it's it's really haphazard, and I'm always warning parents, you know, this is great, we got this, but let's not assume that it's a a done deal. We're going to have to continue to focus on it. I frequently see kids who I think are praxic who... Do what she describes with this more. They use more for a while, or they mute, use a ball for a while, or whatever word it is they're using, and then darn if it doesn't disappear. Normally, it's right. replaced with some other early word, but uh, you know, I think we worked six months to get it. Where did it go? You know, you right? Know. And really, the truth
1: tomorrow. is, he doesn't. He do, He didn't really have it. I mean, it was a pop out. Right. He got it for even if he had it for several weeks. It could be that um, she hasn't really set the situation up for him to be able to produce it in the same way that she did it in the first place. Don't you find that? Kate, that sometimes they're just, you've, you've got to get them back to that same kind of, and we talk about this all the time, we've got to get their motors running. We have to get them really playing. They have to be really happy and really excited and really kind of in the moment, and then they can do it. And if you go in the next week, as you know, before you even put your bag down, expecting to pick up right where you left off, it almost never works because with these kinds of kids, again, you've got to get them back there, You know, from a regulatory perspective, an emotional perspective or a motor perspective, however you be great if it 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 did
0: work that way. But yeah, you really kinda gotta start you know From
1: scratch. And (laughs) and I try to start Yeah, and I try to start with if it if it was if the first time or two that he got more was when we were playing balloons that second week for him to say it or third week, I'm going to still try those balloons and I'm still going to use the balloons and then move to another activity that will be equally fun that he will like. and We can make sure that we generalize that word from one play activity to the next, but a lot of times with these super hard kids, and again, I would call him a super hard kid, you have to almost start and rev them back up to the to the place that they were. I think it's always me trying to get lightning to strike twice with these early word productions, with these kids, with these obviously um, atypical systems. And we can say that because he's not imitating words. He's over, he's almost two, he's 23 months. That's another thing.
0: Boy, is he at a
1: hard developmental phase, too. We talk about this all the time, don't we? Yep.
0: (laughs) 20, 24 months, 19. 21 to 24, yeah. yeah, it's hard. Yep, yeah, there, you know. The good news is normally two can be pretty magic for a lot of kids like this who are, you know, bright kids but appear to be a praxic. I always kind of think, phew, we made it to two. I mean, a lot of times I yeah. get them at two, and sometimes mm-hmm. I kind of think that's good. Because it does seem like you know somewhere between 24, 25, 26 months, things start to click and it gets a little bit easier, and that's when you start to say, "Okay, now we're coming." You know, now we're I can see this defined progress. And she's just you know she spent seven months right um, getting them there. And sometimes I I think they really just are not ready until they're a little bit older to actually talk. Me too,
1: and I know a lot of therapists disagree with that because they talk about all these other things you can work on, and that's true. If the child has some social issues, and certainly if there are, you know, social issues and receptive language, you are certainly working on those things, but sometimes with those motor planning kids, it's almost better if they wait, but again, that genie's already out of the bottle. She can't go back in time and make a different decision, and she probably wouldn't have the mom wouldn't have wanted to do that anyway because she's no, obviously I mean, a with really mom. Can't,
0: but you yeah, know what right. I'm saying. Sometimes you totally. think, well, you know.
1: <laughs> I think, well, we're just going to play and set the stage for it to be really fun. And she did a great job of getting some signs going. And, again, if she's not up there, 30, 40, 50 signs, that's the number one thing I would really go back to making gains on now, so that she can let him like her again, and he can feel success. The other thing I've done—if—if—if if, if this has really—if—if if it's gone way off track with a kid, which thank goodness doesn't happen very much anymore. But I do remember it happening with a couple of kids, kind of right in a row. Um, this is a long time ago, but in, I, do you remember us talking about this, Kate? And we have talked about it with really hard kids for you too. Sometimes taking a week or even two weeks off. Mm-hmm. gives everybody a break, and it's almost like a speech holiday. And then sometimes it happens, you don't plan it. Like you go on vacation, the kid goes on vacation, and then you go back, and woohoo, he's over whatever phase that was. And you can start again, and boy, you know, the the snowball is getting ready to roll down the mountain. You know, you've gotten over whatever hurdle it was, and you're just ready to go. So sometimes a, a therapy break, a therapy holiday really works. And, again, if it's a mom that you can talk to about that and you can say, "This we're, we need to do this on purpose, we need to give him ten days, two weeks, where he doesn't see me, and where if, when I come back in we can sort of start over, you know, that might be something that I might try if I thought the parent were up for that and if I were really, really desperate. And it sounds like she might be at that point.
0: Because, right. Too, it it, kind well, of, and at this point... Much, Success would be if he just didn't cry and he was reasonably happy to see her and play with her because she really does, that just needs to be completely taken out of the equation. Um, Right. And it sounds like the mom would probably be agreeable to me just because she says, the mom says, well, he'll talk when he's ready. That's, you know, that's a pretty open-minded, casual response to he's been in therapy seven months. Yeah, and, and that's great. And it would be good for the therapist to get a little breather because it is. not
1: if, be, yeah, and not be so to, worried about it.
0: Right. And then give the child a little breather. And then when she does go back, if she's able to do that a week or two, um, I, you know, go in with no demands, no, mm-hmm. you know, really just the best toy she has. Don't be giving all the verbal cues about the popper sound and the motor sound and the blah, blah, blah. Play, 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 use your signs, right. let let him use his signs, but keep it fun, 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 fun. if he doesn't make one peep, but he doesn't cry, and he's not unhappy, and he's smiling, okay, that's great. woohoo,
1: go Matt. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she should tell the mom that too, oh, absolutely so yeah, we're taking a couple of weeks off, and then when I come back, we're starting over. And I need to reestablish this this connection with him. He's obviously really frustrated by what we've done. We're going to try a different approach, and we're going to back off and make it pretty darn fun. Until he's not crying at all. And the other thing I would tell mom is for her to act really, really excited about therapy and to say really positive things in between. You know, aren't you excited that she's coming? Oh, my goodness, what will she bring for you today? Oh, you're going to have so much fun. And really set that up and hype that up a little bit. Sometimes moms, when they're trying to be sympathetic, say things like, Oh, I know it's so hard for you. I know you're trying hard. Let's just get through it's it. It's hard you know, the things, work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. She's coming, and I want you to do your best, okay? <laughs> oh. So, I mean, I would tell the mom, you have got to help me get this back on track, and this is how we're going to do it. And just spell it out. We're going to take a, couple, a week or two off, whatever you can afford, <laughs> and uh, that mom will let you do. And then um, just that you're starting over with a super fun, totally play-based, and like you said, Kate, no verbal demands whatsoever. And still model your words, especially the play words that you've heard him do. And, you know, the other thing I would do is if he's imitating a lot of those play words, if he's got three or four, that should be your goal to get 10 or 15 or things that you know – that he can do and then move move forward after that and stay. And, again, sometimes a, a therapist might think, okay, he says we and wow and uh-oh, he's really ready to move straight into those more functional words. And sometimes kids have to stay back at that exclamatory word phase for a long time. Or if she hears we and wow and moo or whatever, maybe she and just, a couple of times per session, maybe her goal would be to increase their frequency of hearing those those words. And, again, this wouldn't be the first week or two after her break. This would be after he loves her. <laughs> mm-hmm. Reintroduce those kinds of words. And by reintroduce, I mean just model, model, model. And, and get him saying words that he can say, you know, 30, 40, 50 productions or word attempts with those kinds of words before introducing anything new and so that he really increases the frequency of his verbal attempts, not necessarily, you know, you're going here for quantity, not new stuff. Does that make sense?
0: It does to me. I also think, I mean, the fact that he does have some of those, and it sounds like we'll do those some, the play sounds or environmental sounds or whatever, tells me if it's really playful, he's Fine. doing better. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. You know, because those are the things that we're modeling, modeling, modeling. Rarely do we demand them. You know, we're, right and moo doing whatever it is we're doing. And if it's he's in context. Able, right. And if he's able to get those, I think your suggestion about, you know, stay there and expand on that level without demanding words till he's feeling good about it is really she just has yeah. to back up.
1: She just has to back up, yeah. Yeah. And in the conference manual, and she obviously uses that as a tool, um, look back at that hierarchy of imitation. And, again, for those of you who have not been to the conference, it's in the latest therapy manual to teach me to talk in the expressive language section. And it talks about the hierarchy and how we – and we talked about this, oh, probably – a month ago or six weeks ago on the show is the show topic. So if you don't have the therapy manual yet, you can go back and listen to that show. And you start with having a child imitate actions, and so obviously he can do that. And then you have them imitate some non- vocal things with your mouth, well, he can probably do that because he is way on up to the exclamatory words and those almost words, play words. So she should take a look at that manual and and look at that one category or even back up with the category right before there with sounds like panting like a dog and screaming at the end of row, row your boat with that little, you know, if you see an alligator, close your eyes and scream, those kinds of things, and really get him imitating Again, 20, 30, 40 different kinds of those pre-vocalization or early things that aren't even real words yet and and the play words, the exclamatory sounds. And, again, there's a whole list of that in the conference manual and um, in Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, if you have no idea what I'm talking about. There's also a list of those on the website at teachmetotalk.com and um, an article called Help my child won't imitate words and you can it's in the expressive language category and you can click on that and see a list of things that you could target first as your first imitation thing but really the reason that he's not doing it yet is because he can't do it yet and so you've got to back up and work on those prerequisites first and it's okay if he's been in therapy seven months. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, he's just 23 months old. I hardly ever use those cues like put your lips together, where's your popper sound, where's your throaty sound, all of that, until a kid is well past 24 months developmentally.
0: Do you do them
1: with your itty-bitties, Kate, kids that aren't even two yet?
0: <sighs> Not usually under two. I don't and either. Even beyond two, it three. kind of it depends on the child.
1: I have it. had
0: some success with kids that I wouldn't have expected to respond. I guess, I guess I'm guess i saying my trend has been to get a little bit younger, but not under two, probably 24, 5, 6, 7, just depends. Right. Some kids do well, respond to them earlier and more right. um, effectively than I would have guessed. But, I, I mean, I think. And I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, normally I don't really use those until they have a handful of words anyway. Me too. And, Me too. You no, know, not from where this kid is, no. I wouldn't you know, either. And he's already for, shown
1: her that he can't do it yet and that that's not effective for him. Right. So she should check that off and the list. And say, like he doesn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. Ineffective. Uh-huh. <laughs> Does not work. Yeah, I would say, you know, that you, you've jumped the gun on that. That may be useful to you three or four months down the road. I mean, he's already got ten words and in kind of an established, consistent, you know you're going to get these words every single session. That's when, you, that's when I really use those terms or those cues. But sometimes if a kid responds negatively to those, I just don't even use them.
0: Right, and you there are know, I kids, just, and he yeah. sounds like... Now, he may get better as he gets right. older, and, and he, this isn't so difficult for him, but some kids, right. you know, it's just kind of how how they're wired, how independent are they, how, you know, and it's not that they're bad kids. It's just some kids tolerate that stuff better than others, and she just has to figure out. At this point, we know he's not tolerating it. so It ticks
1: him off, obviously. Right. he's, mad. he's crying yeah. when he sees her.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is not so, a good sign.
1: No, and so I think our advice about if you can, work it out to take a break, take a break, come back, be as fun as you can possibly be with toys and things that you know that he's totally going to love. Model, model, model with no demands whatsoever. When you're teaching new things, have it only be, you know, work on your new signs and work on new words or vocalizations, verbalizations, whatever word you want to call it, at the place sound exclamatory word level, start with those things. The other thing that I would beg her to review are the rules for withholding, and I think we talked about that a few weeks ago, didn't we? Too, or at the beginning of the summer, maybe. With it, we I don't never withhold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but there there's. Um, an article on the website at com, with withholding and sabotage. You can search those and that article should come up. It's in the expressive language category. If you've bought the new therapy manual, there's a whole section beginning on page 162 with rules wow. for withholding. Yes, I have it right here in front of me so I can remember. Sometimes I'll write this stuff and then I'll forget that I've written about it and then I'll go back and read it and go, oh my gosh, why didn't I just use that? That was an easier way to say it all. But our rules for withholding are you withhold only for things that you know a kid wants. You withhold only for words that you know a child can say, meaning that you've heard him imitate it a lot. You withhold a lot. You prompt it a lot, and you prompt it only three to four to five times. And then guess what? If he doesn't say it, what do you do? You give it anyway. And I think that that maybe hasn't happened because he's walking away. And mm-hmm. I just hardly ever let a kid walk away from me. I always take that as Laura, you pushed him too far. This is yep. the, this is the problem is you. It is not the kid. It is you. You <laughs> backed him into a corner and he can't do anything else about it. So he's fight or flight and he's doing flight. He's walking away from you. You have overstimulated him. And so she's got to not do that anymore and play, 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 and save the withholding stuff for later. And I think the rules for withholding are in the conference too, but maybe not presented in as clear or as direct a way as it is in the therapy manual. So she might want to take a look at that. And in the therapy manual, I did start using this phrase, and I think that it probably comes from a conversation that we've had, Kate, because all my stuff usually starts out as a cell phone conversation, and then it just kind of morphs. (laughs) But that pleasantly persistent. You do kind of push, and you do keep on with what you're trying to do, but you are super fun the whole time. And if a kid starts getting upset, you stop. You back up. You move on to something that he can do and then in five minutes or maybe for some kids next week or for some kids two months later, you're ready to try that again. But if if they're consistently balking and going into fight or flight, which a lot of therapists don't recognize, a kid walking away and crying is fight or flight, but that's exactly what that is. And then you think, okay, I've really pushed him too far here. I've got to back up because he is not developmentally ready for what I'm asking him to do. And you know that the problem is your approach and you've got to back it up and and do it differently or usually back up and do something a lot easier because what you're asking him to do is too hard and he's obviously not ready. But again, there's a whole big discussion about that in the therapy manual if uh, she wants to revisit those kinds of things. But she um, has an opportunity to do that there.
0: Any other final thoughts for her? Let me add a little little caveat there. You said... When he's walking away, I've overstimulated him. And in your case, I'd say that's in our case probably, that would be more likely true than not. I don't know with this therapist just because we don't know her, we don't know what her approaches. The other, the flip side of that may, might be that she's understimulated him. Okay, for us, we tend to be. Well, and I understand <laughs> what you mean by that. So go
1: with that. That's good, but you go with that. Explain what you mean by that.
0: Okay, yeah. Um, and I, you know that doesn't tend to be I'm not saying I don't ever but particularly with a child like this if this he were on my caseload I'd feel the pressure that she obviously feels because right. you know she wants him to do well so that she feels good about the service she's providing and he's not doing very well and so but what I do with that is I internalize that anxiety and I ratchet it up a notch I go in there and I'm woohoo so exciting and so fun and so hyper and you know, and so if a kid went away from me, the odds would be, whoo, I was just way too in his face and over the top and hyper, and I overstimulated him. But, you know, she may be the opposite or less like us in this way that she's nervous and she's maybe stressed and she's feeling a little tentative and she goes in there and, you know, here's this kid and he cries and, hey, that's scary. I mean, we all hate when they cry and so she may be underwhelming him. And so when we're saying, be fun, be fun, be fun, you know, I just want her, as she listens to this, to do some real soul searching about, is he overstimulated or is he understimulated? Does he really, really want what I have? Does he really, really love what we're playing? Does he, you know, and if he doesn't, then she needs to focus on that as well, you know, on what, yeah, what love. Yeah, and that's a
1: good point. Yeah, and I think by overstimulated, I really probably mean that what she's asking him to do is too hard. Okay. Um, But you're wording it um, probably in a way that's easier for people to understand with she's not quite getting him there so that he can respond. And because of her level of affect, it's not as big and fun. And, you know, you always do such a good job of talking about the kids' arousal levels. They have to be mad scared or really excited, and we can't really make them matter scared, so we better go for excited.
0: Well, <laughs> and we it choose sound not like... to make them mad, or, <clears throat> mad or scared, yeah. if we can <laughs> possibly. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like she's getting so, mad without trying, you know. I mean, she's obviously not trying, but he's mad the minute she gets there.
1: Right, because it hasn't gone well, he hasn't felt successful enough. And they haven't done enough stuff that he can do. And she's just trying to move him along too fast. And, boy, haven't we all been there. And so she should take the hierarchy. She should look back in her conference manual. I tweak it every time I do a conference. I mean, I would tell her on page whatever, if I had the one right in front of me that she got in January. But I would say... Copy that, take that into the session if you need some cheat sheets with what do what else can I do with him. And it, is, it will be some planning for her to sit down and say, okay, these are the kinds of words that I should say. Hmm, which of my toys am I going to be able to say we oui with? Okay, do I have a little slide? That would be good with uh, with bubbles as they're falling down. That would be good with balloons. That might be good. You know, she just should look through her toys and plan what new exclamatory words she can introduce based on what her toy might be. If she's going to play with farm, you know, I would take the Fisher-Price farm or any kind of a little farm thing or whatever. I would take cars and trucks because, you know, you can do vroom, vroom, beep, beep, crash, you know, uh uh-oh, whoa, all those little words. She can work that in there. So she should take some time to plan and think, what am I going to do with this? With and, and some people that just comes naturally too, but a lot of us have to work a little harder and be a little bit more structured. I mean, there are some kids that I, I take the you know, kind of a target word list in with me, and certainly in the past, maybe not so much recently, but when I was really thinking, okay, I'm, I've got to work on this. This is where he can be most successful. But I don't know if I'm going to remember, and especially if she feels under the, under pressure with the mom, you know, she might need to take some, a little outline just to keep her on track with what she needs to do.
0: Right. It can help.
1: Yeah. They can't. All right, any more about that with her? Well, I hope she listens to the show and will send us an email in a week or two and let us know how things are going.
0: Well, if or she gets your in break, a break, it'll probably be going really well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's what she should say is oh, we're doing the break or whatever. And, again, that doesn't work for all kids. And some therapists say, I would never want a parent to think that they'll do better without therapy than they will with therapy. It's not that. It's that you need to start over. And you need to have some time for him to...
0: Decompress um, a little bit about the stress yeah. he's feeling. Because that's, yeah, right. you know, a kids, you are asking him to do something that is very, well, probably impossible is the best way to put right. it for him. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't really matter if you go in and you try and take fun toys and be pleasant and playful and fun. If you're trying to demand that he do something that's impossible for him, the answer right. is he's little, but he's with it enough to know, I can't do it. I don't like it. You know what I mean? Right, and and he's
1: transitioned that to, and guess what, I don't like you either.
0: Right. And Even that's a though, tough spot to Even though, obviously, she be. cares very much and she's trying very hard. But, I mean, Absolutely. I'm always telling parents with a, of apraxic kids, this is really hard for him. Exactly. And I, I totally think that and, and know it, you know parents think he would say he won't and i said it's not that he won't <laughs> I, I it's, them, can't. it's really hard yeah. and it's not that he won't he can't and they just right. i don't know why i have such a hard time convincing parents they can't if they could they would they would
1: yeah mm-hmm. And the other thing she needs to talk to the mom about is say, I am so upset that he cries when I come in. That is not what I want to see. That is not normal for me. I love your little boy, and I want him to love me. And so we have to really start over so he can get back to a point where I'm associated with fun and things that he can do and with feeling good about himself. And so we're going to start over and do this. Um, So I I can't wait to hear how it goes. I hope that she uh, will listen and will follow up. Up and uh, let well, us know, and you know how it Laura, there are
0: therapists, there are speech therapists, I suppose there are DIs and every other kind of therapist as well, who would honestly say and believe, well, you know, he, he cries, but that's okay. This isn't easy, and he just has to get through it and so he can learn how to talk. And I think that is so wrong, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I do too. What? What do you mean, you know, especially talking because it's it's a voluntary thing that people even two year olds willfully do or don't do if they're capable and to say that it's okay that it's that it's unpleasant and that he's unhappy. It just isn't. You know and I have it heard, isn't I have heard therapists say that. I have um, too and
1: it's always sad and I always think oh they don't have as many positive experiences with children as they should. But, and the reason, when Dr. Greenspan says, and Pamela Marshella, who's written that Becoming Verbal with Childhood Apraxia, they both say, and when Dr. Greenspan, you know, he's talking about apraxia in the context of children with that are on the spectrum and this little boy's not, but the take-home information from their things is anytime a kid is crying, he is overstimulated, he is out of control. He is past the point of no return, and so you have to get a kid back to baseline first, and speech is different than, say, the physical therapist who can passively move their arm or exercise their legs or make them, for a better word, do it, even in the midst of crying. You cannot make him talk, and you surely can't make him talk while he's crying. It is impossible, and so you do have to start over and Um, I would say therapists like that need a big philosophical change because Mm -hmm. approaching it from that way sets it up to be a power struggle. And who wants that? That's crazy. That's a crazy way to spend your hour or your week. If if you think that that's okay for uh, how to treat toddlers, I would say that you need to be working with older children (laughs) or adults perhaps. Because toddlers don't work that way. And they're still babies. Yeah. Even when they're two, they're still babies. Uh, and I know I feel sometimes more warm and fuzzy than other people might about that, but uh, I do think having that good connection and good relationship is, you know, of your number one goal. With kids, so that they um, you want them to love you and like you or at least tolerate you, and they are crying and screaming and not wanting to participate you 're not going to get much further than that because it 's too um, it's you just can 't win those battles, and even if you could, would you really want to i just i just don 't want to be that kind of person, and I would never want to portray that or model that for a parent for them to think that that needed to be their you know, setting up that kind of style for their whole um, childhood with, it's hard, but you're going to do it, you know, regardless. And I joke all the time about sometimes sometimes when you see a parent do this kind of thing, withhold when a kid's not ready, and, you know, it's almost, they're you know, saying, you better say milk or you're not going to get this epic up. And certainly this therapist <laughs> hasn't done that. I know she hasn't done that. No. But... That, but that—that's how the little boy feels, mm-hmm. because he's crying, he's resisting, he's—he's he's telling her, "I can't do it, I'm not going to do it." So she's got to um, look from his perspective and come up with a different way to mend that relationship and start over. So I hope that she can make that change. And I love that she emailed us about that. Isn't that great?
0: And asked right, for and help. help. Hard a lot of therapists don't say, do that. But, right. I've had kids over the years, not in quite a while. I think I maybe read them a little better. My instincts are a little more sound, not to say that I don't ever make a mistake, but I don't think right. I've made this mistake in quite a while. But, um, you know, I, I have in the pa- past, and I remember once years ago, Laura, we shared a little guy in Indiana, and he was kind of struggling this way, and you told me, don't put any demands at all, just. Play, yeah. play, 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 model, 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 model. And and I did that, and you did that, and um, he came around pretty quickly. So, you yeah. know, usually it can be rectified pretty easily, you know, it a can couple weeks she had of fun re- and playing. Yeah, and back. she had
1: a good relationship with him at the beginning, so uh-huh. it hasn't been negative this whole time. And she says it breaks her heart. She's ready to try anything.
0: Right. So,
1: and again, it's obviously bothered her enough that she um, is looking for help. And, again, I think that's awesome. And if you are a therapist and have an equally challenging situation, we would love to take an opportunity to tell you how we would handle that. And, again, just to generate ideas. I always love to hear what other people say about that. And when I ask therapists, you know, and this happened in in the um, conference in Memphis, somebody said, uh, I don't feel like I have anybody I can talk to about this, about this kind of stuff. And I said, you know, you've got to make a friend. Thank goodness I've had Kate for all these years. Because <laughs> any time I have a situation like that, had boy, I am on the Had we the
0: been phone. able to see in the future, Laura, we would have just taped all of our phone commerce, except we would have <laughs> not been so good about that confidentiality thing. <laughs> we would have probably had thing. to edit. So
1: when <laughs> <laughs> we would have had to edit and all those things. We couldn't do that. But
0: honestly, I mean, well... You know, there are a few other people who are interested, but normally this is something that only therapists could find endlessly right. interesting. But it is so great when you have a kid that is just, you know, more challenging or just somehow different and you get to talk about it and troubleshoot. And, you know, you've had them and I've had them, and it's so nice to have a sounding board to say, what do you think, what do you think? And we're yeah, not and about it. You know, but- go ahead. The
1: other thing is call other therapists on that kid's team, even if you don't Mm -hmm. know them. That's how you establish relationships and make friends. And I have spent a whole career calling other people and saying, okay, what works for you? What's he done best for you? And I so welcome that when somebody else calls me and asks me a question about a particular kid. You know, our state now, we can see what, because our notes are online, we can see what kind of challenges or successes other therapists are having with children um, if the notes are 100% accurate. And you can make some calls based on that. But even if you're in a system where you have no idea what, even who the other therapist is, look on the IFSP, find their phone number, and give them a call. Because all of us like to talk about this, and I think most people are more than happy to share insights or or if you're both striking out, at least you know, Misery Loves Company, you can talk about that together and maybe not serve
0: you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, although on this child it wouldn't surprise me if there she's it. You know?
1: Exactly. It wouldn't and I'm not talking about just for her, I'm talking about for other therapists because The therapist said to me, I don't have anybody else that I can ask this kind of question to, so I'm going to ask you. And so Mm -hmm. I talked to her about her question, and then I said, okay, how sad is it that you don't have any other friends that are therapists? And she just stood there and looked at me, and I said, you know, you've got to reach out and make some friends that you can talk about. And we certainly have, Kate and I have other friends besides each other (laughs) that are therapists, Mm -hmm. and so you you create your own network and you call the OT and you call the PT or if there's another speech pathologist that you like and admire, how flattering is it going to be her if you call and say, listen, I need some help. Let me run something by you. I need some ideas for this kid. Um, And I think that just establishing your own network of – Ideas and camaraderie with other people who do what you do, and that's how you get better. Haven't we learned some of our best stuff, Kate, from other therapists? Right. So you know, other even you learned it. You therapist. might not learn it yeah. at a continuing ed conference or reading a book, but you learn it as you're talking to them. Um, again, on a phone call or something. So establish some relationships that way, so that you can get some new ideas from some new people.
0: Laura, right, I had a funny thing uh, this past week. I was at a meeting, and um i had i had seen the child before the meeting. I really didn't plan to it was just to add o t to the team and um but the mom backed me up because the child was sleeping blah blah blah, anyway, I ended up being at the meeting, and as I got out this toy to try and pacify the child who was getting very interested in messing with the service coordinator's computer, the o t yeah. said, "Oh, that's the toy you were talking about on the podcast." <laughs> And, and it's somebody you know and like, and she's a great OT and very cute. But she said, "Oh, I felt bad when you said you didn't like the the piggy bank version I had, but that is oh. cool." And it was kind of funny. But <laughs> I know who you're probably talking about. You know,
1: that's funny, but it is. Th- I mean, that's what you do. You find out your best toy. <coughs>
0: excuse mm-hmm. me, your
1: best toy ideas, your best treatment activities. You might be trying something one way with one kid and the OT or. Somebody, whoever else is working with him, might say, oh, I do it this way.
0: And he likes it. it. it, Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Go with it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So don't be so, and I don't think with her, I don't think it was that she didn't have people to call. She just had not ever thought that she should initiate that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's perfectly fine. Thank goodness we don't have to know. All there is to know, and we don't always have to have all the answers. You know, we can call and compare and um do those kinds of things. So, hopefully, that will inspire some new friendships. Remember that girl that called uh, a long time ago, and she said her best friend, she was a DI, and she said her best friend was an OT, but they never talked about work, and both of us yeah. went, oh, "What? <laughs> what do you talk about?" Yeah. So, anyway.
0: Oh well. Okay.
1: We are not going to have time to get to the second question for today, but it's a really good one too and it's it's kind of related to this. It's about children who get stuck who can say some words but who get stuck pointing and grunting and they're just stuck on their signs when the therapist thinks that they could probably produce some words. So, again, sort of related to this. So we'll start with that question next week. But, again, if any of you have something that you want Kate and I to take a shot at, we would absolutely love to do that. And you can email that to me at laura at com or leave it as a comment on the website. And those are my very favorite ones because then other people, even years later, um, benefit from that information. And I had lately have gotten so many emails from moms and comments on the website that say just reading comments from other moms made me feel better, that I'm not the only person struggling with this. And even if that mom never meets that other mom or that therapist never meets that other therapist, they still feel better that there's somebody else out there in the same situation. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, hopefully we help the therapist we don't know. She's I hope us so. Know. that' so because she be sounds great.
1: great because yeah, uh, because I mean, she honestly,
0: uh, yeah really, initiated a really question right, and it's hard to say that. And like I said in the beginning, this is a hard child, and we have all been there. But Absolutely. okay, luckily they're very forgiving two-year-olds. So she <laughs> she can mend that fence and keep hit the ground running again.
1: Yeah, and have a really um, honest, heart-to-heart talk with a mom about it, so she knows what you're doing.
0: Right. And yeah. sometimes just, I, I've had those talks for the same exact reason before.
1: Me too. I, and
0: I'll say I think I've been pushing too hard. I'm really going to take all the pressure off for a couple weeks, and I want you and to I do the same. And I tell them to do it at
1: home too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right,
0: I want you to I'm do glad the you same. I'm
1: that. Yeah, yeah,
0: sometimes it can be that too. I've had that happen where oh, I really felt too. like maybe it was the parent who was pushing so hard 24-7, and then... Yeah. You know, and you want them to work with them, but you don't want them to be so Ooh. into it that the child doesn't ever get a break of right. you know having demands put on them. So
1: and you want parents anyway. to do their homework and follow through, but sometimes I say, listen, I want you to be the mom, and you need to let me be the therapist. Mm-hmm. And again, that I have not said that to very many people. But I have said that to some moms that were just so over the top that I'm well, thinking that no yeah, way live in Yeah, if you get one of those home. really, really, yeah. really
0: militant moms, in and, tent. of course, they mean yeah. well. They only are trying right. to be great moms, but, you know, they hammer them all day, demand, 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 demand. It's like, well, who would want to live like that, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they're doing it out of love, but it's still so much pressure. The and, wrong approach. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think for Praxis kids in particular, it is just very hard. You know, you're by your very nature of putting demands on them, making it harder for them. And yet they kind of need that. But if they're getting that all day long from mom, it's just way too much.
1: It's way too much. And the thing is, they can tolerate that in the therapy session better when you get them to the point that. Again, their little systems are revved up enough so that they're ready to pop out those words and that they're not crying, not walking away, uh, and having a blast and know that you are there to play and be fun and be their friend and all those things. That really does make a big, big, big difference. So, oh, you know, and next week I do want to talk about, too, one of the professors at – my university that I went to said that she's really seeing a big trend. And every year that um, there's not as much warm and fuzzy with girls that are in grad school, and she was so excited to see me holding children and obviously, as she said in her Mississippi way, loving on kids, (laughs) (laughs) and that she was so glad that the therapist got to see that because she thinks that, that that's been kind of a trend to be ultra professional and keep kids at an arm's
0: length
1: and focus so I much on job behaviors. I think that's in it,
0: all the healthcare professions. I, yeah. I think it's sad that, it is at, sad. in the interest of you know advancing the the um, reputation of the career, whether it be nursing or speech or physical therapy or medicine, whatever um, it's you know to be professional means to be distant and cold and aloof, and I think that's just right. sad, particularly for us who, when, when we work with babies. But they're yeah. still human, even if they're middle-aged or old. So
1: Exactly. <laughs> but, so we're, let's talk about that a little bit, too, next week as well. So I've written that down. All right, we're over.
0: Wait, we're out are out thing. I, I just I love this question. So one thing, Laura, we never really said, or I don't think we really said it was, um, This guy, she can, A, have mom try and get him his little motor running before she gets there. Or also, at this point, I think if I were her, I'd probably spend, oh, a good mm, half the session playing with him, running, jumping, tickling, swinging, Uh kicking balloons, whatever, you know, chasing the rocket that you shot across the room. Jumping um, off the couch. Yeah. These kids, the younger they are, the more praxic they are, Um, they really need to have that movement. It really does really help them. And this guy needs it, you know, really even more importantly at this point, so that he's reminded she really is fun and that this, right. is, about and, a, yeah. this is a positive thing, but mm-hmm. it will also really, really help him when she does revisit, okay, we're going to sign, okay, I'm going to model words and, and be a little bit more directed about this makes it so much easier um, for him to have those successes if she's gotten him moving. So Yeah, and that's you a know. great idea. Just and tell if Mom, you need just... Some
1: more Id- Yeah. What's that? Uh, more, more ideas about that. Those are things that were in the conference manual as well with that um, movement activities and toys. There's a nice little list that she can look at if that hasn't been her philosophy. I think all of us should be doing move, sit, move, sit, move, sit, especially with these kinds of kids in therapy. And the younger they are, the more frequently you need to do that, that you're gonna right. move and play, 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 and then sit down for just a you know one toy, and then get back up and move, and play, 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 and sit down. And some kids, you're right, you do have to spend a good 15, 20, even 30 minutes Doing all that movement stuff so that you get them, and to the point that they can sit and produce and pop out those words. But I think the whole move, sit, move, sit, move, sit is almost with every darn kid that you see, especially in the beginning when you're right. just uh, getting
0: going with them. Right. Yeah. And this little yeah. guy, he definitely would would benefit, and their relationship would benefit. So anyway, we've given her lots of ideas. Hopefully, she'll update us in two, three, four, however long it takes for her to feel like, okay, it's working.
1: It's moving along.
0: Or it's not, it's not and we'll revisit it, it again. Not. I think it will because yeah, she right. obviously cares a lot and right. you know, just kind of got a little off track with him, and we've all been there. So if she redirects it, it will come back and, and she can let us know. It so, will. Good luck. All right.
1: All right. Okay, thanks, you. Join all. us here next week. Thanks. Okay. Bye. All right, bye.